everyone. Welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible study author, adventure junkie, and founder of Voice of the Voiceless, empowering women in Africa. Join me here every week for inspiring conversations on discovering miracles in life's messy moments. Here's this week's episode. Welcome back. This is your go-to podcast for anyone craving fresh ways to apply God's word to your everyday life. I love these conversations that I get to have every week with just extraordinary guests. And today is no exception. You're going to hear from her in just a minute. But if you missed last week, you're going to want to go back and listen to Melissa Eady. She is such an, just an amazing young woman of God. She's a cancer survivor. She lost her leg to cancer. We talk about that. We talk about her makeup training in Los Angeles and Hollywood and how God is going to be using her in the arts in such unique ways. And so that's really a, just a great conversation. And then next week, you're going to want to tune in to hear Pamela Christian and prolific author, prophetic bent, some just really unique insights that came out of that conversation. And she's a survivor of sudden cardiac arrest syndrome. And what we talk about that as well. Today, I'm with my special guest, Evelyn Lighty. She is a licensed professional counselor. She has 35 years of experience as a chemical dependency and mental health counselor. She's been a teacher and a trainer for accredited college programs, a number of them. And now she teaches, she presents workshops, she speaks all over the United States, a sought-after speaker and workshop host. She's written 14 books, including three just in 2020 that have been released. One that I have right here in front of me, Just Fine, Thank You, Growing Up with Family Secrets. We're going to talk about that book in a moment. Also, Dance Like There's No Tomorrow and A Fix for the Family rift caused by addiction. So welcome, Evelyn. I am so honored to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Angela. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm really happy to be able to share with you what I do. Well, I know that you and I both are a part of the EKS Exceptional Keynote Speakers website. That's how I found you, and I've had the privilege of hearing you on the Refocus webinar. And But for people who don't know you, Tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, and all the good things. I'm from Rapid City, South Dakota. I grew up in South Dakota, but I haven't always lived here. I've actually lived in many places around the world and also in Japan at various times. I grew up in a family where there were a lot of secrets. I had a very proper English mother, and I had an alcoholic father. My book, Just Fine Thank You, is to share with people how confusing it is for a child to be in a home where there are so many secrets and where it's not okay to talk about things, especially feelings or what you see happening in your family. You know, I did not grow up with that same upbringing, but I know that secrets of any kind can be so devastational. And I've talked to some people on this podcast who have lived with secrets and have been on the receiving end of what that has felt like. So, you know, talk a little bit about what it was like to grow up. I know it was painful. It was difficult for you. And, uh, and I know when you got married, that was a difficult season as well. Correct. You were pretty young when you got married. Yes, I was 18. 
I married a man uh, who was in the Air Force. I was blown away by his handsome charm in his Air Force uniform. Mm. My first book I ever wrote was about that marriage because it turned out to be really abusive. And he was an alcoholic. And during that, when I started writing, people didn't understand how alcoholism affected the family. Mm. There was nothing for the family. There was only things for that person who was an alcoholic. And alcoholics were considered to be drunks laying in the gutter with a brown paper sack. Anybody that was functional wasn't called an alcoholic because during that time, alcohol was not a disease. It was a moral issue. Mm. People went out of their way to deny that it actually existed. In my family, we could never talk about it because it just didn't exist. Mm. First of all, my father never drank at home. I didn't see him drink. So he drank when he was away from home or he drank in the barn. We, we lived on a farm. And I grew up on a farm with, with no electricity, no indoor plumbing, an outhouse. But the offset to that was it was a very simple life and I got to ride horses. I got to have a great life with my four brothers, playing outside and climbing trees and doing things all the boys did because I was the only girl. And I talk about all of this in my book. And I share how our family was crazy making because we had huge family gatherings mm. in which all of my dad's relatives would come or all of my mother's relatives. And so on the outside, it looked like we were really a normal, happy, healthy family. And on the inside, there was all these secret dynamics going on that no one saw or knew about. And my mother's stock answer when anyone asked her how things were going was just fine, thank you. Why do you think that was the case? Why do you think, was it shame? Was it like you're saying it just wasn't something that was discussed yet? There wasn't even a, maybe the correct frame around it. Do you feel like she had a hard time even reaching out for help? My mother was a very proper English lady. Hmm. And her father was very wealthy and he had given them a lot of messages about proper behavior. My father, on the other hand, came from Missouri and his family was poverty stricken. Mm. However, my father was very charming and very handsome and my mother fell very hard for him. When she met my father, he was working at a center tuberculosis hospital where he had taken his first wife because she had TB. My mother took her sister to this same hospital. Mm. My dad had taken a job as a cook so he could be there. And when his first wife died, he stayed on. So that's how they met. And we lived, actually then we lived in the mountains when I was born. And we used to hear the mountain lions scream. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a logger. My life progressed from a very young age, moving around from one place to another until we ended up on a farm. Mm. The sum total of that book talks about how it is to be a child and to never know what's actually going on. And I'm sure in your years as a counselor, you've seen that 
that repeated over and over in the lives of so many children who don't understand what's going on. They don't understand how to fix things or they continually try to remake themselves and reinvent themselves for approval. And I know that that's a theme you address as well. And I'm curious to know, Evelyn, how did this frame your view of God as you were growing up in this environment? My parents were quite religious. We went to church. Our whole social life revolved around the church, but they believed in a punishing God. And the punishing God would get you if you weren't careful and if you didn't toe the line. One time my father told me, I think I was seven years old, he said to me, if you fight with your brothers, God will come and take one of them away. Mm. And I believed him. And I spent much of my life trying to protect my brothers from God, trying to make them behave and do what they were supposed to do and toe the line so that God wouldn't take them away. Mm. However, when I was nine years old, God did come and take one away. And I thought it was my fault. Mm. It took years of therapy to overcome some of those things that happened in my life then. You know, and it's difficult, Evelyn, when we feel like we've been manipulated at the hands of especially family members. And then you say, I was raised in a Christian home. So I would imagine that was difficult to reconcile how here's my view of Christianity, and yet it's fraught with turmoil and pain. How did you end up coming to know the Lord having been raised in these conditions? Well, for one thing, he was relentless in trying to follow me and, and get me to come to him. Hmm. And, and I am very, very blessed by that because I was stubborn and I didn't want to do that. As I'm writing my books now, I'm seeing even more clearly how much he followed me around and what he did to bring me to him. I myself um, turned to alcohol and drugs when I was 17. That's what my second book is about, Dance Like There's No Tomorrow. Hmm. At the time I got to that age, I was totally, totally convinced that while there was a God, he didn't know there was a me. Hmm. And so um, I started drinking with the rest of my friends I mean, it was an accepted thing to do. Everybody did it. My father did it. Everybody that I knew did it. I didn't realize that alcoholism was a disease. And slowly, I fell into that disease. And I have worked very hard in order to um, find my way out of the mess. I've been an, a member of a 12-step group now for 40 years. Wow. And... The thing is, I never found God in church. When I was a child, we went to church. Our whole life revolved around the church. But we had a hellfire brimstone minister, and he would pound on the pulpit, and, and he would scream at us for being sinners. And, you know, when you're eight, nine, you, you look at this and you believe it. So it wasn't until I got into a recovery program and discovered that there is a God of love that I even knew a God of love existed. Mm. And once I found that, I studied, I worked, and uh, I developed a program to get myself 
out of my misery and into his love. Took a while, but I made it. Mm. I love hearing that. And what do you think? Obviously, I think even getting into a recovery group, the miracle of your sobriety, the miracle of the way God turned your life around. What do you credit to some of these miracles that have happened in your life? I firmly believe that God uses everything for his ends if you let him. And some of the miracles that have happened in my life couldn't have happened without his intervention. He's gotten me in the right place at the right time. He's sent me to the right people. He has definitely done his part in helping me to get where I am today. And, and I know you're making your life matter for the kingdom in so many ways, Evelyn, your books, your resources, your workshops. You know, what do you feel like is one of the main messages you share in these workshops to families, especially those dealing with terminal illnesses or alcoholism or addiction? What I share with them is it's not them. It's not you. Alcoholism is a disease. It's not a moral issue. It's more of a brain issue. It can be coped with. It can be dealt with. But what I share with the families is you didn't cause this. You can't change it. And you can't cure it. So find a program for yourself. Work on yourself and develop your own path. Because codependency is one of the things that develops when you grow up in an alcoholic home or when you live with an alcoholic. The codependents spend their whole life focusing on what goes on around them, thinking that they're at fault or they could fix this or if they could just think of the right words to say, they could control it. And that, that's a fallacy. That isn't true. And what, what changed in your life from growing up in this difficult environment to struggling with alcoholism yourself, you find a recovery program, you begin to understand and grasp the love of God, the grace of God. At what point did you choose to pursue the path of being a licensed counselor? Because I feel like that offers so much hope to anyone who number one might be struggling their own with their own addictions if they're listening or they love someone who is struggling with an addiction because there is hope. And I, I see the purpose on your life, the call on your life, the 40 years you have served, you know, as a counselor ministering to people. So where did that shift for you? And how would you encourage someone else who really wants to see their, their life take a turn? The first book I ever wrote was called to be somebody, which was the book that when after I was 18 and I married my husband, who was only 21, my husband was very abusive, but it didn't happen all at once. It was over a period of time as his drinking got worse, the abuse got worse. And at that time, I didn't believe that a divorce was something that I could do because I was still believing in a punishing God. And if I divorced, I would be punished. So I stayed with him for 13 years. And there was a point at which he said, I'm going to sit in the garage, and if you try to leave, I'm going to shoot you and our two kids. At one time, shortly after this, my brother, my youngest brother, um, who I was very close to, and who had, over the years, came to me and offered to help me and tried to support me, 
said to me, if you stay with him, I'm done. I'm not going to help you anymore. I love you. I'm not going to watch you kill yourself. About maybe six months after he said that to me, he was killed in in an accident. And I was so angry. Mm. I was so angry with God at my younger brother's death, but his words stuck with me. And after the funeral on my way home, I vowed, I will make you proud. Mm. I will do this for you. I can't do it for me, but I will do it for you. Mm. And I signed up for college, and that's all in my book. Mm. I went to college. I spent four and a half years getting a degree raising while raising two children. Um, and then the rest is history. Wow. So something, his death was a catalyst for you, right? A catalyst to take charge of your life and, and, and to really determine that your life was going to look different at that point. It had to be for him because I didn't have enough self-worth to do it for me. Mm. And women who are battered, people who are abused, their self-worth is non-existent. Mm. So the only way I could do it was to do it for him. I didn't really care if I lived or died at that point. So one of the things that I do, I work with a lot of battered women I work with women who are married to alcoholics. I work with children who have grown up in abusive homes. And the first thing we have to do is convince them, you didn't cause this. This is not about you. This has nothing to do with you. And then we search for ways in which they can begin to learn to help themselves and take care of themselves. Mm. Can you imagine, could you have imagined back then, Evelyn, all that you've been through, how God would use you now? I love how you said he doesn't waste anything. He uses it all. If you look back over the landscape of your life, what, what view do you have of God now that you've seen him use you? He is so amazing and miraculous and down to earth. Mm. He says things to me and, and I can always tell when it's him. Because when he's talking to me, it's a feeling that just envelops me. Hmm. And, and I have since learned to do what he says. Even though it doesn't make sense to me, even though I'm not sure why he's telling me, I do it. And it always turns out well. Hmm. It's so many miracles. And I pray for my clients and I see my clients make great strides. And sometimes I'll be sitting in a chair talking with a woman or a a family across from me, and all of a sudden, an idea will pop into my head that I know has to be from God because it isn't anything I could even think of. Mm. And that is exactly what they need to hear. Mm. Now, since you have 14 books, if someone is just trying to kind of get started, especially if they're struggling with addiction or they love someone who is where would you encourage them to start with one of your new books and work backwards or what's your recommendation? Well, just fine. Thank you. Is the ground floor of my life. Okay. It goes from zero to 13. It talks about the disease in our family, the secrecy and, and shows exactly what happened in our family. Hmm. And a lot of people don't know, they don't realize 
that, I mean, I've had people read this book now. It's been out for a couple of months. I've had people call me on the phone and say, oh my gosh, that was my life. I didn't even realize I was being abused. I didn't even realize my dad was an alcoholic or my mother was an alcoholic. The book To Be Somebody also has helped a large number of people because battered women get hope from it. People who are being abused, I don't know if you've ever known a woman who's being abused, but they always deny it. Their families do everything to get them to leave their abuser, and they won't. I wouldn't Hmm. because if they leave, they have nothing. One of the things that I tell people is if you want someone you know to leave an abuser, you don't say bad things about the abuser. You say good things about the person that's being abused. Mm. You tell them they're valuable, that they're worthwhile, that their life is important. Dance Like There's No Tomorrow is the one that just came out. Okay. It's brand new. It is the story of my teenage years of being, um, and actually the story takes place in the 1950s. Mm. There's lots of things in there that people today have totally forgotten about. Like we didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. We barely had a TV. Mm. There There was so many things in those days that didn't exist at that time. Actually, And tell us how we can reach them. I'm going to ask you to pray for our listeners in just a moment, but I know people who want to connect with you. I know some of our listeners either are, are in difficult situations. And if they are, Evelyn, what, what, do, what would you say right now to someone who's either in an abusive relationship or struggling uh, with an addiction? What is step one that you would say to them if they're listening today? Reach out for help. Hmm. I'm available if you want to talk. You can find me on Facebook. I will happily give you my website, which is www.evelynlighty.com, L-E-I-T-E. I will answer any messages. And people do contact me. I'm in touch with people all over the world. Mm. And I search for referrals for them. If I can't help them, I find someone who can. Mm, I love that. And what the message of that is that there is hope, that we don't have to stay trapped in our circumstances, that there is hope for recovery from addiction, from a battered relationship, that you have value. If you're listening today, we want you to know you have value. You are significant, not just here on earth, but you are significant to God. And he died to give you eternal life and life here on earth abundantly. And so Evelyn, I just want to invite you to pray for our listeners and just pray a blessing over their lives. And I pray if you are listening today and you need help or you have a loved one that needs help in any area, addiction, um, abuse, or just the, um, the untangling of the knots that maybe you grew up with with your family, I want to encourage you to, to reach out to her website, evelynlighty.com, E-V-E-L-Y-N-L-E-I-T-E. Her, her newest book, Just Fine, thank you, one of her newest books this year about her life growing up in an alcoholic home, growing up with family secrets. God wants you to be free. He wants you to live free. He's offering you that miracle today. So Evelyn, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for pouring into our listeners and just making yourself available to them. And um, you, you probably won't know until heaven how many people you have impacted 
and, and brought them encouragement and hope and resourced them through what you've gone through. So I just want to thank you for that. And I just want to ask you to pray over our listeners. Angela, thank you so much. What I'd like to do is read a poem that I wrote back in 1978 in the depth of my worst days. God, let me be strong and true. Let me put my faith in you. I tremble like a captive bird, straining and listening for your word. Please take away all my fear and say my name so I might hear your love for me come through, that I might find my life anew. And let me, Lord, look back on time, enabled to give up the muck and slime, remembering only what is good. And God, change me from a block of wood to one who is secure in you, to one who believes your word is true. And oh, dear God, please let me be whatever it is you wish for me. My only hope for life at all is to let you carry the ball. Take my life and set me free from needless pain and agony. Let my troubled heart be still, that I may be open to your will. The worried, lingering doubts that lurk must be dispelled to do your work. So grant, dear Lord, that I may find the lovely, heavenly peace of mind that can only come through you. And Heavenly Father, I ask you to give this to all of our listeners, to bless them and guide them and show you, show them the miracles of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. I'd love to stay connected, so be sure to visit AngelaDenadio.com for my books, blogs, and free goodies. And find me on Facebook at Angela Donatio VOV and Instagram at Angela Donatio. If you've been inspired to make life matter, leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, let's keep discovering miracles in life's messy moments.